You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning. I get the privilege of kicking off the Christmas series this year, Vintage Christmas. And before I do, um, we are, I'm so excited about what's coming up in January. Um, I've been the life groups pastor here for, oh, six months or so, and uh, teaching is my passion. I love to uh, see people get excited about the Word of God, and uh, just to make a note, life groups had its biggest attendance this year than it has ever had, and uh, God's doing good things around here, so I'm excited about what God's doing. And as a result of that, uh, we've had some conversations as a staff around here about where do we go from here? What is life groups look like? Well, in the coming year, uh, some changes are going to be made. First of all, it's not going to be called life groups anymore. It's going to be shortened to just groups, and here's the reason why. Uh, We have, uh, because of the growth and because of the purpose of why we have life groups, we decided to make some changes. One of those is what we know now as life groups will become connect groups, and those groups are going to meet in folks' homes, and uh, some of them already are doing that, uh, but we're going to move those away from Wednesday nights um, in order to make place for something else. But those connect groups can happen. If you're interested in being a host, you don't want to teach something, but you'd love to open your home and have people come in, um, you can see me, and we'll, we'll see what we can do to make that happen, and then we can have people who are facilitators who are going to teach. We have a number of folks who are already doing that and teaching, and you say, hey, I want to open my home. You can be both a host and a facilitator, and if you're going to be a facilitator, you certainly have to be a member here at Calvary, but you don't have to be a member to be a host. You just say, I love people. I love to open my home. I've got a great home God gave me, and I want to open that up, and uh, would love to have those, and we have a variety of things um, we talked uh, this semester. Uh, Pastor Nick had Beyond the Message. Um, Pastor Delena had Erasing Hell and some discussion with that. And there was a variety of groups that happened. They'll fall under the connect groups. And the whole sole purpose of that is so people can connect to one another. How many know when you connect to somebody, it makes you want to come back to church? And when I first walked in here, not only knowing a couple of people, it was kind of difficult. Uh, but once I started connecting with people, I like staying. I like being here. Oh, smile at me. You look like you just ate lemon pie. Come on. (laughs) Then we're going to have catalyst groups. Catalyst groups will happen on Wednesday night. And the purpose of catalyst groups is to give us an opportunity to draw deeper in our faith. And there's three areas that we're going to focus on. You can sign up for any three of these. Um, the catalyst groups will be, first of all, talking about getting grounded in your faith, doing devotions. If I was to ask for a show of hands, which I'm not, um, of people who struggle with their, just their walk of faith, of getting into the Word and how to pray and all those kinds of things, we're going to have one just on the fundamentals of, of learning about God and growing in your faith. Um, we're also going to have one on apologetics and sharing your faith. And, uh, so it, maybe you've struggled with that. It's like you don't want to just walk up to somebody and, hey, you want to get saved? You know? <laughs> Sometimes that turns people off just a little bit. Um, so 
Uh, Pastor Dave Brock is going to be teaching that one. And then we're going to have one of being set free and transforming faith. Pastor Nick's going to teach that one of sometimes we struggle with the same thing over and over again. How many have ever been around the barn? You know what I mean. You, you get victory, you go around, and you fall again, and you get victory. And how many have been around the barn a couple of times, and you just, you're just tired of going around that, and you want to break habits and cycles in your life that are, that are not helping your faith? And Pastor Nick's going to be teaching that one. So the Catalyst groups are going to be happening on Wednesday night. We're so excited about uh, what's going on there. And then finally, we have the care groups. Care groups are uh, ones that will help in dealing with a variety of issues in your life. Well, we already have one of those, Financial Peace University, uh, helping people get debt-free and live debt-free. It's a fantastic um, fantastic program, but we want to work some more into the future, uh, such as divorce care or grief care or celebrate recovery. Those are things that we're working toward, but uh, the, the care groups, uh, those, uh, those groups will fall under that category. So we'll have Connect Care and uh, Catalyst groups that will be happening in the spring. The new semester starts on January 8th, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, so mark your calendars, January 8th, everything's starting up. By December 15th, we will have the groups out to you, out on the app. Um, one of the things that we have just kicked off is the Church Center app. Uh, on your phone, you, can, you will be able to, not today, but you will be able to sign up for groups right there on your phone. You can also do it online. The other nice feature of that particular app is uh, it's another way uh, for giving. You can give right in that app. It's a lot of information right there. Uh, you just download the Church Center app. You find Calvary Church, and it walks you through a login process, and then it just stays there on Calvary Church. So it's a great option, but by the 15th of this month, we will have that available to you to sign up for that. Uh, let's see, anything else? Group leaders, I'll be reaching out to you um, and seeing where we're going with this, but we'll have all the, the classes and things that are going to be happening. We'll be pushing that, and you'll be able to sign up by the 15th. So I'm so excited about that, about what God's doing and the opportunity to grow together. And our, our, our specifically our Catalyst groups on Wednesday night are going to be structured in such a way that we're not going to get up and just talk at you, but we want interaction. We want to sit with you and yeah, how many know when somebody just talks to you, sometimes we walk away and we forgot what was told to us? Have you ever been lectured to in a classroom? How many have forgotten what happened in the classroom? But if you can engage your audience, if you can engage your students, if you can get them involved in the process, if they can wrestle with it, they'll own it. And that's the purpose of the Catalyst Group is to help us to own our faith even more than we already do. Amen? So I'm so excited about what's coming up with that. Today, we kick off our Christmas series, Where It All Began. I was thinking, and, we were, and my family and I were talking yesterday about like one of the most memorable Christmases that you've ever had. And uh, my, my wife said, what was the first Christmas? And I remember a long time ago, my parents had these inflatable chairs, and me and my sister did our best to destroy them. And... Uh, to show my age, some of you older folks will appreciate this, my dad filmed it on an 8-millimeter film camera. <laughs> Mike, you're making me look old. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that film is still around or if it's in the Smithsonian or something, but um, <laughs> it's there. But the one Christmas that I remember the most happened 40 years ago this year. 40 years ago... 
we were sitting down as a family. Um, we're in the church I grew up in. We didn't have Christmas Eve services. I don't know why, but we just didn't. And so my, my mom and dad and my sister and I were sitting there watching TV on Christmas Eve. You know, I'm Mr. Snowmeister. Okay, some of you like that one. Some of you, you know, I'm a Rudolph kind of person. Okay, that's cool. We were watching something, and my, my dad, my mom turns to my dad and says, it's time. And my dad gets this look on his face of joy and scared at the same time. And before we know it, while me and my sister, I was 11 at the time, do the math, <clears throat> I remember just mom and dad leaving and our neighbor coming over. And it was Christmas Eve, and mom and dad left. And what was going on? I said, nah, couldn't be. And at 1.12 in the morning on Christmas Day, my kid sister was born 40 years ago this year. So instead of unwrapping gifts around the tree, dad came home all bleary-eyed and tired and picked me and my sister up and drove us 20 miles to the hospital and introduced us to our new baby sister. That was pretty memorable. And one of the things my parents did that was really kind of interesting to me is it's always awkward having a birthday on Christmas because you kind of feel like you get gypped because, you know, you should get double gifts, right? That's the way my sister always felt and <laughs> probably justifiably so. But my parents started the tradition when my sister was really young and every Christmas after that for years we had two birthday cakes. One for my sister and one for Jesus. And there was something that happened in my young little mind, 11, 12, 13 years old, that began to shape how I feel and how I believe about Christmas. Because up to that time, it was just, I hope I get what I ask for. I hope I get everything on the list. I hope I get. And I began to process, wait a minute. We're having a birthday cake and it's not mine. And we had one for my sister, but it's Jesus' birthday. Well, wait a minute. Why aren't we giving him something? Something began to process in my mind, and I began to look at Christmas in a completely different light than I had before, in my immature, teen, young teenage way. But it helped me to process, because you know how many know when you're a teenager, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can be self-centered. <laughs> not going to buy you an iPhone. <laughs> you can be wrapped up in yourself, and it helped me. My parents, in an unassuming way, helped me and my sister to see Christmas in a different, I don't even know if they meant to do that, but it certainly did help us. So what Christmas really is about when you remove all the wrapping and the trappings and the food and the tree and all the lights and all those are wonderful is that a long time ago in a land called Bethlehem, a plan began to unfold. Actually, it happened a long way back. In the Bible, we can go all the way back to the first book, the book of Genesis. Wait a minute, Christmas is mentioned in Genesis? No, Christmas isn't mentioned, but it was started. 
We look in the scripture and we see uh, God told Adam and Eve, hey, this is what's going to happen. Adam and Eve had just eaten the forbidden fruit. You can talk about whether it was an apple or not over coffee. That's, it doesn't say apple in the scriptures. I just messed some of you up so bad. I always believe it was an apple. <laughs> but God told them as a result of their sin, I have a plan to deal with your sin. And here it is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here, Jesus is setting the plan into motion. This was a prophetic statement, ultimately of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Because what Adam and Eve had done, they brought sin on all of the descendants, on all of the world, and the Son of God was the only one who could pay the price for that sin. I love the scripture there where a strike on the heel, as we see in the text, a strike on the heel implies a wound. But a crushing of the head is a fatal blow. You can look all throughout the scriptures. If you study through the scriptures, you will find that many times Satan tried to strike a fatal blow, tried to cut off the line of Christ, and all of that, all the way down through, you see that over and over and over again, and it was just a kick in the heel. See, before you think that Satan is um, all-powerful, stop for a minute. He's only a fallen angel. And the best he can do is a kick in the heel. But when Jesus came and he went to the cross, he got out his big boot and he stepped on the enemy's head. And he started the process of dealing the fatal blow to the enemy. I don't have time to get into all the theology of that this morning, but suffice it to say that things were set in motion in Gen Genesis. And while the cross may have seemed final, Jesus' resurrection made a difference. Satan thought he had won. He thought he had crushed Jesus' head, but he didn't because three days later, he came back. And we look in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus has the final victory. 2,000 years after that moment, 2,000 years of after this was said in the book of Genesis. We see another scripture in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, is the prophetic word spoken to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. That was spoken to Abraham. And if you look and follow down through the scriptures, you will find that it wasn't just to Abraham, but all of his offspring and ultimately the Jewish nation. And you can see, if you look at the, the, the nation of Israel, blessing that happened to them. I could go into all kind of news stories where they should have been destroyed and they should have been wiped out. And over and over and over again, they didn't. Look into the history of the Six-Day War, and you will see how a nation that should have been crushed miraculously wasn't. And the Bible tells us, as we are, accept Christ into our life, we become part of Abraham's family. And so we become part of those who are blessed because of the promise made to Abraham. That's good news. The Old Testament's full of Prophecies concerning Christ. It's full of them. His birth, his work, his life, the arrival and life of the Messiah were told centuries 
before. The book of Isaiah, one of the biggest prophetic books in the Old Testament, says this in chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The prophet Messiah, 700 years before Jesus came, spells out Christ's arrival with great, let me see if I can say this word without butchering it, specificity. A virgin will conceive. There's a miracle right there. A virgin will conceive. He specifically states that. And in addition to that, God gave out the gender reveal that day. It's going to be a boy. He will conceive a son. He, he blew the whole surprise. Hey, this virgin's going to conceive, and she's going to have a boy. And... He gave him the name 700 years before he was born. We will call him Emmanuel, God with us, a name with meaning and purpose and the identity of who was being born. God among us, God with us. In another text in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah gave the specific place where Jesus was born, would be born. In a land, the land of Israel, which is roughly the size of New Jersey, Micah tells the exact city where Jesus would be born. Interestingly enough, did you know in ancient times that there were two Bethlehems in Israel? And the specific one mentioned in the book of Micah was the one where Jesus was born, Bethlehem Ephrata. Bethlehem meaning the house of bread. Interestingly enough, Jesus said, I am the bread of life in ancient Israel. That's astounding to me. 700 years before he was born. Here's his name. Here's his gender. Here's his birthplace. And oh, by the way, the, the young lady that is going to bear him will have never known a man. The miraculous events long before Jesus was born, bear to the truth of all of this. I could go on and on and talk about a variety of things and the prophecies and the theology, but really, we want to boil this down to what in the world does it mean to me? When you look at the scriptures, you find a book written over hundreds of years, written by a variety of authors in different settings, and the chances of all the 300-some prophecies of Christ actually happening are 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Some of you just disappeared on me. How many math people we got out there? Any math people? We don't have any math people. That's scary. <laughs> Somebody's got to do the math. Come on. <laughs> One... The chance is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Don't play the lottery on that one because you're going to lose. <laughs> those, those odds are not even possible. It's not even, that number is so big. And yet Jesus, as you look at his life and you go back through all the prophecies and him meeting them to the very specific nature are absolutely incredible. Why am I saying all that? Because 
it lends to the truth. If you're just looking for facts, it lends to the truth that Jesus is who he said he was, and he can do what he says he can do. Amen? So what does that mean to us? Why why do I need to know that? Why should I care about that? Well, first, it's fundamental for our faith. You've got to know what you believe. If we're going to be called children of God, if we're going to be called Christians, then we need to know what we believe and why. Do you believe that? Think that's true? If you don't know what you believe, then we've got to dig a little bit deeper. We've got to find out why we believe what we believe. This is a bedrock of our faith in the assemblies of God. This is one of our fundamental truths, right, Michael? The the virgin birth of Christ. Second, as the band makes their way up, second, it should affect the meaning of Christmas in our lives and the expression As we celebrated my sister's birth on Christmas so many years ago, it gave me a reason to look at why Christ came. He came to give joy. He came to serve. He came to love. He came to care. He came to comfort. He came to reach out. He came to give hope, joy, help, peace. My mother was walking through a really challenging time a number of years ago. She would just go out on the couch in the living room, not wanting to wake my father up, and just cry. She would just cry. She was so suffering with this depression and couldn't seem to get over it and just struggling and battling with it. And her pastor's wife said to her one day, You need to change the way you're thinking. See, it wasn't a clinical depression. It was just a situational thing. And she says, I want you to go home this afternoon, and I want you to put some worship music on. And I want you to just sit there and listen to that worship music and start to sing with it in your living room. Have a worship service all by yourself. And as my mother laid there on the couch, tears running down her face, listening to some old Maranatha back in the day. I don't know what song she was listening to, but she's told me this story. As she sat there with tears running down her face, trying to fight off this situation that just overwhelmed her mind, she said, the scripture came to me that God gives peace that passes understanding. And she said, I felt it as if it was a warm blanket draping over me at that moment and she said I have never been back to that place of depression again why because Jesus is the peace speaker he says I am the prince of peace I came to give that to you what a great gift what does it matter if you get everything on your list you get the latest iPhone you get that thing you always wanted but you have no peace in your life And Jesus didn't say, hey, come give me something. He says, I've got something for you. I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got stuff that will carry you through when everything's going wrong. I've got grace for when you trip and you mess up. That's why he came. And so when you look at Christmas, for me, I look at Christmas a totally different way because my parents taught me came to give 
And lastly, as the Bible says, excuse me if I get a little emotional. The Bible says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible talks about a sheep and a shepherd having sheep, and he says he had a hundred, but he counted, and there were only 99. I've lost one. And it says the shepherd will leave the 99, and he'll go find the one. Maybe this morning you're the one. Maybe you have never entered a relationship with Christ. Today be a great day. Maybe you used to serve Christ and stuff happened in your life. How many know stuff happens? What a great day to come back. And he stands there, he's looking for you. You don't feel special. You don't feel valued. You feel like you messed up too bad. Insert your name in that. I am not worthy of Christ. And he says, I'm looking for you. Where are you at? Where are you? I know you messed up. It's all good. That's why I died on the cross. It's for you. I came to give you. That peace you're looking for in in the bottom of a bottle, guess what? I got peace that passes all understanding. In that failed relationship, in that, in that, you're looking in all the wrong places. He says, I came to give you love that doesn't require you to perform. Jesus is ultimately the one who says, I see you when you're sleeping, and I know when you're awake. And I know if you've been bad or good, but it doesn't matter to me because my blood covers it all. He's here for you this morning. He's looking for you, the one. The shepherd would search everywhere until he found the one. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I laid all of this message out of why Jesus came and looking back to how the prophecies were laid out for ultimately this one purpose. Jesus came for you. And this morning you came to this church, maybe it's the hundredth time you've been here, maybe it's the very first time you walk through the door and you don't know, didn't know what to expect. I'm not gonna call you out this morning. I'm not gonna make you come up front But what I am going to do is just ask you a simple question. Do you want Christ in your life today? He sent Jesus for you. All of this elaborate plan that he laid out and all the odds of it happening or not, he laid it all out for you. If you're here this morning, you say, that's me. Just want you to lift your hand real quick say, that's me. I want Christ in my life. I need Christ back in my life. I want this Jesus you're talking about. I believe it's the real deal. Lift your hand right where you are. Right where you are. 
What a great season to accept Christ in your life. Father, we come to you today in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for sending your only son. We thank you for the plan that you laid out so many years ago because you loved us so much. Father, as we are here this morning, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for loving us when we were unlovable, for caring about us, for giving to us, for serving us. And during this season, Lord, help us to look to you and say, what can we do for you? How can we serve you? How can we express our love to you? Speak to us, I pray, Father. And I pray as we leave this place today, Help us to remember you're always with us. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.